You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. This episode of The Way Home Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Christian Standard Bible. I just want to say a word real quick about the CSB translation. I've been using it in my preaching and my writing and in my personal devotions for the last couple of years. I really like their uh, balance of good scholarship and faithful translation work also with readability. I want to make you aware of a special new commentary series called the Christian Standard Commentary. This is a set of commentaries that focuses on the theological and exegetical concerns of each biblical book while paying careful attention to balancing rigorous scholarship and practical application. I am always on the hunt for a good set of commentaries to help me with my preaching and with my writings, particularly when I'm writing things like the characters of Christmas or the characters of Easter or other things to really help me illuminate the passage in scripture that I'm studying. This series really helps you understand each biblical book's theology, its place in the broader narrative of scripture, which I think is very important, and its importance for the church today, drawing on the wisdom and skills of dozens of evangelical authors. Uh, It's really a tool for enhancing and supporting the life of the church. If you go to lifeway.com during the month of April, you can get the Christian Standard Commentary series for 30% off, which is a really incredible deal. So go to lifeway.com and get the Christian Standard Commentary series. I highly recommend it. And we want to thank them for sponsoring this episode of The Way Home Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Way Home Podcast. I'm Dan Darling, and I'm so glad to be with you today. I hope you are enjoying these conversations as you are in the carpool line or washing dishes, doing some exercise of some kind. I hope that these just conversations with with Christian leaders and authors and all sorts of people is interesting to you and maybe helps you think more deeply about the important things in life. Well, today... I am excited to have with me Dr. Stephen Nichols, who is president of Reformation Bible College and uh, is with Ligonier Ministries. And if you're listening, you've probably benefited from Ligonier's ministry, whether their radio show or some of their books or online courses or conference. Uh, They do a great job of really teaching solid biblical theology uh, in a way that is understandable uh, to ordinary people. Well, the genius behind all this, the the one that God gave this ministry to years ago, decades ago, was a man by the name of R.C. Sproul. And I'm sure you are familiar with R.C. Sproul, having probably read uh, The Holiness of God or uh, several of his books. He was a, a, a really someone who could teach theology to the masses. He also was a great apologist for the Christian faith, uh, just a great teacher and a wonderful person. And there's a brand new biography about him that Dr. Nick, Stephen Nichols has written called R.C. Sproul, A Life. I had a chance to read it, thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, I wanted to have Dr. Nichols on to talk about the life of R.C. Sproul, how he interacted with him, why he wanted to write this book, and what we can learn from just a really faithful life, walking with the Lord, uh, teaching, uh, even some funny and interesting stories, how he wrote his books, his love of golf, how he loved to laugh, all those things I think you'll enjoy. So let's join this conversation now with Dr. Stephen Nichols.
delighted to have on the Way Home podcast, Dr. Stephen Nichols uh, from Reformation Bible College and Ligonier Ministries, among other things, author and speaker, historian, theologian. Thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. So there's a lot we could talk about because I'm a huge fan of uh, the the ministry of uh, Ligonier and our family's really benefited from the resources over the years. Uh, but I really want to have you uh, come on and talk about your latest biography of Dr. R.C. Sproul. And so I, I would love for you to share a little bit about your first interactions with Dr. Sproul and how you sort of came into the ministry of Ligonier, how you been impacted by Dr. R.C. Sproul's ministry. And Yeah. Like so many people, we go way back, uh, Dan, uh, and like so many people, I first encountered Dr. Sproul on the printed page and read him and read his books before I heard him speak or met him. Back in my college days, I was in Philadelphia area. I would go down to the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. This was back when it was Dr. Sproul and Dr. Boyce. And a friend of mine had a, we, we both had our RC books and we were in the you know, long line to get her book signed. And my friend uh, went up to RC, he was in front of me and he handed RC the book and while RC signing it, he said, Dr. Sproul, uh, by any chance, are you gonna be in New Jersey anytime soon? And Dr. Sproul looks up at him and with his gravelly voice, he says, young man, if I will be in New Jersey, it won't be by chance. And uh, of course, he's talking, you know, about the sovereignty of God and all. Uh, but I thought, I think I'll just just push my book across the table and move on. Um, but then years later, I was invited down here to speak. Uh, this was 2010, I believe. Just before I spoke, I had an occasion to have dinner with RC and Vesta. And I'm all nervous, you know, I'm prepared, I'm, I'm cramming theology, I'm reading theology dictionaries before I go to dinner, just to be ready for whatever question is going to come. They are so disarming. Uh, within minutes, you just feel like you're part of the family, and they're asking about you and your kids and your pets, and you're just at ease, and then you're laughing at jokes, and it was just delightful. So just from that time on, just really enjoyed uh, that relationship I was able to have with Dr. Sproul and with Vesta. Um, and it was just really a joy uh, for me to have that and then to be able to, to write the book. Yeah. And, and I'm curious about your journey into uh, being a theologian, being a historian, you know, um, not knowing your testimony. Did you grow up in a Christian home? Um, did. Yeah. Did you feel that calling on your life early? Was it something that happened, you know, later in life? Yeah, I did. My dad's a pastor, grew up in church, was in church before I was born, <laughs> was in church all the time, went off to Bible college and just really enjoyed academics and just felt a real calling to serve in higher education. And it turned out to serve in theological undergraduate education. Along the way, I fell in love with church history. I just felt like it was our past. It's, it's our family story. And I have sort of two passions. One is to teach undergrads. I just, I love college world. I love college students and just pouring into their lives. But I also enjoy writing for the church and specifically writing church history for the church. So those are really the two things I enjoy doing, uh, teaching and writing um, and just teaching the church. Yeah. And I think people know you 
probably most prominently because of your uh, work on church history, uh, which is excellent. Have you always had a love for church history? I've always had a love for history. Uh, when I was younger, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania. There were some early, what we used to call French and Indian War sites, early George Washington sites. So I think when I was about eight years old, Dan, I was telling people I was going to change my name when I grew up to Steve George Washington Nichols. Uh, so <laughs> I was enamored, <laughs> enamored with history. And then I got the real church history bug when I started working on Jonathan Edwards when I was a student at Westminster Seminary and sort of never looked back. I uh, went from Edwards to Luther and the Reformers, to Machen, to American church history. I just sort of keep rolling through and um, yeah, very much enjoy it. Yeah, that's great. And I've always been a fan of history too. I mean, I love my idea of of leisure is like reading a uh, book on uh, American church, uh, American history or church history. You know, that's, that's my idea of a good time off. So let's talk about uh, R.C. Sproul, uh, quite a legacy. And I, you know, when I was reading the book, the biography, it just struck me, um, you know, the place and time in which R.C. was born and did ministry. And there's a couple of things I'd love to talk with you about. I think first, his own personal testimony of growing up in Pittsburgh and kind of, you know, the family he grew up in and growing up in a, a kind of, you know, Pittsburgh being a kind of a blue collar town and particularly that in that moment in history before some of the, um, you know, manufacturing and all that stuff kind of went overseas and all that, but like the, the time and place that he was born into Pittsburgh, kind of the steel town and all that. And then his um, RCs, you know, you can almost trace w- w- why his passions were so strong later because of the religious environment he grew up growing up in a mainline right. church environment but not ever really hearing the gospel right and and so maybe just talk about how his upbringing really formed him for what would be his future ministry oh i love to i think it had a huge impact and i think your instincts in picking up on that are, are really spot on so, you know, we all know the platform RC, we all know the RC of the 90s and the zeros, but you got to go back and see RC in the making. He's born just before World War II, and the war and the post-war very much shaped his early years, his growing up in Pittsburgh. You know, he once says, uh, you can take the man out of Pittsburgh, but you can't take Pittsburgh out of the man. And there's a toughness. It's the steel city. Uh, there's a toughness to Pittsburgh. You see it in their sports teams. Um, you saw it in RC. Uh, you know, there, there was that determination uh, that marked him. There was that solidness that marked him. Growing up, uh, the church in the neighborhood that he went to was a liberal Presbyterian church. That, and he was in church all his life, but never heard the gospel, was surrounded by liberalism goes to an historic Presbyterian college that was liberal, goes to a liberal seminary. And so as Vesta has said recently, uh, R.C. got two educations. He, he had to have his own education of, of, in a sense, foraging for the orthodox teaching that he had to sort of do independently 
Meanwhile, he's getting all of the liberalism that he has to sort through. But she, of course, says this is part of his genius because he didn't have to know what or, or, or sort of get secondhand liberalism or, or sort of conjure up what liberals might think. He was right in the lion's den uh, throughout his whole formative decades. Um, so all that shaped him. And of course, we got to tell the story of Vesta. So she's in that neighborhood from the time he's in the first grade, he's in the second grade. And so, you know, it's idyllic. Here's the neighborhood, here's the park, here's the drugstore with the soda fountain. I mean, it's all right there, the TV repair shop. I, I mean, this is just, you know, going to the Saturday matinee with the double header to watch the Westerns or the Frankenstein movies. This was all part of the texture of RC. Yeah. And I, I, there's a couple things I think about when I read your book and I thought about his background that makes sense to me about his ministry. One is, as you mentioned, he grew up around liberal Protestantism, uh, went to school immersed in liberal Protestantism. And so when, now when you read his stuff, you understand that he's not just talking to the faithful, but he's talking to the people he disagrees with. So like, it, it makes sense when he's articulating, you know, apologetics, for instance, or right. he's articulating, um, you know, substitutionary atonement or some of these things right. that he is interacting with all those people who disagree with him, which I think is a fascinating approach. And it makes sense why he's so clear and easy to understand from my perspective. That's one yeah. thing that I think is interesting. The second part of that is even in those liberal schools, it's interesting that he found his way to conservatives mm -hmm. who right. could for help shape him. So maybe talk about those two things. Absolutely. So at college, his lifeline was Dr. Thomas Gregory. Uh, Gregory was a Westminster seminary trained then he went to Penn, University of Pennsylvania, got his PhD in philosophy and chaired the philosophy department at Westminster College, about an hour's drive north of Pittsburgh. And that's who really turned R.C. on to philosophy. And it was fresh as R.C.'s converted in his freshman year at college. Then he's taking Dr. Gregory's classes. It was a big influence on him. Then he goes to seminary and he's got Dr. John Gershner uh, that R.C. would come to have an immense respect for. Spoke of Gershner's bear trap mind, spoke of Gershner's courage. I mean, he's, he's really, because of a merger between the two seminaries, which was a merger of two denominations, Gershner was bulletproof. Uh, the liberal seminary couldn't get rid of him. He, he came with the merger and uh, sort of like tenure for a college professor. And so, Gershner was there, and R.C. often referenced Gershner as a lifeline uh, through those years of seminary where he was just surrounded by liberals. So, so God was very gracious to R.C. You know, years later, R.C. is going to write an article just simply entitled, The Blessings of Great Teachers. And he has in mind his mentors uh, that were gifts from God to him at really formative moments in his life. Yeah. And it, it seems to me, um, I, I just love the fascinating parts of his background. The other things that were so cool to me that you illuminated were he's in the stands, him and Vesta, <laughs> I believe are in the stands at yeah. 
which uh, it was probably Three Rivers Stadium back then. I'm trying no, to think. It was actually, or maybe it was even before Three Rivers. It was. It was still Forbes Field. Forbes Field. Like, that's right. That's right. He's in the stands. Game seven of the World Series, I believe, in 1960, Bill Mazeroski hits a game-winning home run. Like, what a slice of history that is, huh? <laughs> Not only that, Dan, and and they had just gotten married that summer. Yeah. And then World Series that fall. I mean, it's like the best year of his life. Um, but as a kid, he was at the very first game Roberto Clemente played as a pirate. And in that very first game, he hit a home run. Wow. And RC was a kid at Forbes Field. That's was- amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, one more thing about his background, and I promise we'll get sure. to his life and ministry, but it's fascinating to me. Um, his conversion story. You know, I, yeah. I've been thinking about it since I've read this book about just the power of being faithful to the Holy Spirit and personal evangelism, all that. He, you know, his conversion story of going to, I believe, was it high school or college? I'm, I'm trying to recall. Right in college, freshman year in college. college. And some, a couple guys mm-hmm. essentially pulling him over and saying, hey, freshman, you need to read this. And it's the Bible. <laughs> and, right. you know, I, I think about that a lot because we just don't know what God will do with our faithfulness. Uh, here's, you know, what if these two guys had said, <clears throat> we all obviously believe in the sovereignty of God, that God is divinely appointed these things but i just think from a human perspective what if these two men these two mm-hmm. young guys had mm-hmm. said uh, i'm a little nervous i'm a little scared to share my faith i'm a little i don't know should we do this but they did and you just how god used that interaction rc becomes a christian vesta becomes a christian and the rest is history and that it, to me that was powerful like when i read that i'm still thinking about that Oh, absolutely, Dan. And I'm so glad you, you paused over that and, and took a moment over that because I think that's a really crucial piece to the story. You never know uh, the impact that you're going to have on people. You just, you just never know. And you're exactly right. They, they could have made up any number of mental excuses not to summon uh, RC to come over to the table. But wow, what do you think about the impact of that encounter? Blows yeah. your mind. And I think about similar things, whether it's, you know, the shoe salesman who, you know, talked to D.L. Moody and all these other other folks. So it's just it's just amazing. OK, I want to talk about his ministry. One of the things I love is and you really, really spend a lot of time on this. Um, he's teaching. He's doing this. And this kind of benefactor comes up and says, if you could do whatever you want for the rest of your life, <laughs> what would you do? And he says he wants to teach theology, he wants to do a study center. and RC's heart and vision to teach solid biblical theology to the average common person. I mean, I, I just love that. Like he could have taught in the Academy and I think the Academy is a really noble and important calling. I'm grateful for people who are academics because I benefit for them as a pastor and a writer and all that. But for RC to say, I want to teach theology to the average Christian person Yes. The average church member. I just love that heart uh, of his. What, how do you explain just his calling in that way? Absolutely. And again, you're just picking up on so many great moments here in RC's life. He could have easily been in academics. He was in academics. He's 29 years old and he's a seminary professor 
So in one sense, he's sort of at the top of his game. And by his own testimony, he said he was bored. But at the same time that he was doing that, he was teaching this adult Sunday school class. Now, this was in Philadelphia. It was Conwell Theological Seminary, which was on the campus of Temple University before it merged with Gordon and moved up to New England. So now it's Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. He was there in the final years of Conwell, living in the Philadelphia suburbs, teaching a Sunday school class at a Presbyterian church. And here he's teaching Christology, doctrine of Christ, in the Sunday school class to laity. These are you know, mostly white collar workers in Philadelphia living in the suburbs, and they're eating this stuff up. They come eager, they have questions, they want to know theology, they're smart people, but they haven't been theologically trained, and they want it. And R.C. fed off a crowd. You know, the more hungry they were, the more passionate he was about the subject. And I think right at that moment, the vision for Ligonier was born. Then comes the conference that you referenced, and the benefactress who pulls him aside and says, uh, what is the one thing you'd want to do? Uh, and as you've said already, now the rest is history. But I think the vision for Ligonier came right in at 67, 68, 69, when he's teaching Sunday school. Yeah, and it's interesting. This was at a time when, you know, we, today we look around and there's just a plethora of theological resources. There are conferences, right. you know, there are great publishing houses, publishing great stuff on reform theology, just on good, solid theology. There are seminaries. We're talking about a time when that stuff wasn't prevalent. And RC is almost a, um, you know, Ligonier is almost a, an island into itself in terms of doing this kind of work. Absolutely. I think these were voices in the wilderness. And you've got many people, faithful laborers who came along. Uh, Banner of Truth starts publishing all these Puritan books and they get read by, by people like John Piper. Um, and then you see the impact he's had. Uh, you've got the study center and you've got folks coming through, college students uh, who go on to, to be seminary professors. You've got the books that RC's writing, but th these, these were sort of voices in the wilderness in the 70s and 80s. And what we're reaping now, as you say, with this just plethora of resources, conferences and podcasts, uh, you know, we're, we're sort of on the shoulders of that generation of the 60s, 70s, 80s that were really, in the end, all they were doing was they were being faithful teachers of the word of God and saying, this is who God is and this is who Jesus is. And this is what the gospel is. Before we return to our conversation, I want to let you know about a great new sponsor. It's the wonderful and creative folks at the Compelled Podcast. This is a great new storytelling project uh, full of Christian testimonies. What I love about what they're doing is they're finding Christians who share unique stories about how God has shaped their lives. Earlier this week, they released a very encouraging story with Joshua and Amy Glasscock. Uh, Joshua was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, a genetic disease that always results in death and really uh, has no cure. 
but God miraculously intervened in Josh's life in amazing ways and has given him and his wife a unique perspective on life and death that really I think you should hear. Uh, you can listen to Josh and Amy's story and many more like it by searching for Compelled on your favorite podcast app or by visiting compelledpodcast.com. And again, we're thankful for the folks at the Compelled Podcast for sponsoring this episode of The Way Home. Okay, let's return to our conversation. I think about that study center and, you know, Tim Keller is a young young man. He's coming through. He's trying to shape his theology. And he's one of the people sitting on the living room floor there listening to R.C. Sproul. In fact, uh, R.C. married Tim and Kathy Keller. That's amazing. amazing. Yeah, that's right. Kathy was at the study center too. Yeah, that's really amazing. And you know, just to think of the people who went through that study center. And one of the things I've always loved about Ligonier, Stephen, mm-hmm. is that, and I have a passion for this too. There's a lot of, a lot of lay people who will never be, really be able to go to seminary. You know, oh, they're, they're working sure. jobs. They're raising families. You know, they're, yeah. they're raising families. They're faithful people in their churches. And the fact that Ligonier has been able to make accessible Really, I mean, like I tell people, you could you could go through the Ligonier courses, you could get table talk, and you can listen to the podcast and essentially get almost the equivalent of a seminary degree, you know, like auditing a seminary degree, and it's really a blessing to the church. I think it is, and I, I can tell you something that's happening right now that's just really exciting for us at Ligonier, which is a result of RC's vision. We're working actively and about 20 languages right now. And we are in places where it is difficult for there to be seminaries and training. And so a lot of these resources, RC's teaching series, RC's books getting translated into Farsi, Hindi, Arabic, Portuguese, they're, they're really the, it's the seminary curriculum for these pastors. So it's just amazing how God continues to use RC even in ways RC never ever envisioned or, you know, said, I'm going to set out to have this global ministry. He, he just wanted to be faithful and just God has blessed the teaching um, and, and the, the focus on the word of God in theology. Yeah. I'm going to give a short plug. I love table talk. I've been reading it for years. It's a great magazine. Y'all listening should subscribe to it. And I did the, um, Robert Godfrey's uh, church history, you know, from yes. the beginning all the way. And I did it via podcast, <laughs> via podcast. It took me, a, you know, cause I walk in the mornings and I did it on my commute. It took me a, a bit to get through it, but I just loved it. So I uh, highlight that. And then of, of course, all the great resources. There's a couple of things that are also interesting about RC that I, I think, you know, he, I went back and read a couple of his books after he passed away. And, you know, it's interesting about people of that time frame i went back and read a, a, quite a few of j.f packer's books too and the timelessness of those works you know i read it and it's accessible it's timeless and i feel like he wrote books that people will be reading in a, in 50 and 100 years i mean i don't know if you feel that way yourself oh absolutely you know there were there were some things rc could engage 
issues that were really pressing. But his MO was to sort of engage pressing issues by looking past them to what are the ultimate issues. And those ultimate issues are always theological, are our fundamental problems, whatever they are, the problems we are engaged in right now in this pandemic, whatever it is moment. Ultimately, these problems are theological, which means ultimately the solutions are theological. And I think that's what makes good theologians timeless. Uh, in fact, I'd say uh, good theologians are the most timely because they're timeless. So now you're equipped to think theologically about what you're engaged in, you know, in this moment. And you're equipped theologically to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ in your context. So I, I couldn't agree more. And um, I do think holiness of God, chosen by God, even a book like Defending Your Faith, his apologetics book, I think these are going to continue to serve the church for, for hopefully uh, for generations to come. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm thankful for that and his accessibility, um, his willing to, you know, meaningfully dialogue with people who are disagree with him. I think of uh, his teaching, you know, it seems like he loved the classroom. He loved that chalkboard. Um, <laughs> and I feel like he liked taking on hard questions from people who disagreed with him, like had that kind of warm heartedness, even though he's very firm in his convictions. Explain that about him. Oh, I think you're getting at the heart of what he was about. He loved people, cared deeply about people. And he wanted Ligonier from the beginning to be a place where people could get their questions answered. It's, it's interesting. We just started this uh, initiative called Ask Ligonier. It's a 24-7 thing where you submit and you get people helping you answer theological questions. When we told Vesta we're doing this, she said, this is what Ligonier was going, this was the intention of Ligonier from the beginning. There were complex questions in the 1970s, cultural revolution, sexual revolution, political upheaval, war protests, civil rights unrest. These were complex times, 1971, and people had real questions and RC wanted to be able to provide real answers, biblical biblically faithful answers. And you know, it's where we are now. We're, we're facing complex questions. And he, he never wanted to, to run from the questions because he felt like the Bible had answers. Let's run into the questions. And so he did that and he helped people with answers because he genuinely cared about people. He had a passion for their souls. He would often say, you know, these things we talk about, they're not a matter of life and death. They're a matter of eternal life and eternal death. So they have ultimate consequence. And um, yeah, it really brings together his, his two passions, uh, what you've zeroed in on, his passion for helping people and his passion for helping them by, by help giving them answers and showing them where they can find answers uh, for the questions that they are asking. Everyone I talked to that knew RC and I have some friends that knew him and spent time with him said that, uh, as you say, he took, the, he took this stuff very seriously, but he didn't take himself that seriously. And he was just a, <laughs> right. a fun guy to be around, like yes, joking and laughing and playing golf and just, yes. just a warm hearted, fun person to be around. Um, 
I, I have one friend that said he spent time with RC and he's never la- laughed harder in his life. When, when he was with him. <laughs> that seems to describe him pretty accurately. I think the only person who laughed harder than you when you were with RC was RC. Uh, <laughs> he, he just loved. Uh, yeah. Uh, I know Al Mohler will say that uh, different conferences, he always looked forward to the speaker dinners where RC was going to be present because he knew there would be laughter. And he also knew when RC wasn't present, you know, you got a bunch of introverts. <laughs> these, these speakers are all, they, they appear to be extroverts, but, but here's RC. Uh, I think Steve Lawson called him the king of the one-liners. Uh, and he, he just, yeah, he had that, that wide, wide grin and just, uh, yeah, loved, loved to laugh. So there's a couple things in your book that surprised me about the number of people who read RC or interacted with RC that people might be surprised by. One was Alice Cooper, the <laughs> singer, what, the actually rock. went to went to a Ligonier conference and interacted. Are there other people that that people might be surprised to know that were reading RC or interacting with him? Yeah. So so Alice Cooper is one went to a went to a Ligonier conference. The next day, he and RC golfed. Like, <laughs> would you not have wanted to be along with that, Dan? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, Richard Milhouse Nixon, wow. former president of the United States, was a reader of uh, RC Sproul. thought that was interesting. Um, I think another person uh, that uh, is of interest, and I mentioned this, is for a while, the lead singer of Van Halen. And in one of the liner notes for a Van Halen album, R.C. Sproul is thanked. Wow. (laughs) So there you go. Um, And then finally, I won't give his name, but I'll just say that a, a former director of the Central Intelligence Agency Oh, wow. Might Interesting. be, might be uh, a Ligonier fan, but I'll, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> you could tell me, but you'd have to kill me. I would. Yeah. Uh, here's another one. How about Senator Sam Nunn? This goes back. I, oh, wow. <laughs> but uh, he was a Democrat. And, yeah, uh, conservative yeah. Democrat. Yeah. Joe Kemp. Uh, he Joe Kemp and RC would toss football together. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I read so that. I better That's, stop. I better yeah. stop. But you know, okay. The thing is, too, though, Dan, if if you were you know a long haul truck driver and you came to the Ligonier conference, RC would would give mm-hmm. you just he would be in front of you. You'd have his full attention. You'd have his full yeah. respect. Um, yeah. So we mentioned some of these people because we find them interesting. Yeah. Um, but he 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 also um, was was uh, was was very uh, quick. Uh, to treat all people with a kindness and a respect and, and give them attention. Okay. So two more questions to my, my loves. I love the local church and I love writing. So I want to first ask about the last years of his life. He was able to pastor St. Andrew's church and it was cool to read how he just really enjoyed the pastoral life. Um, And he loved being a pastor to people. So talk about that impact on him and how that shaped him in the last years of his life. He had genuine friends in that, that he would golf with, uh, that he'd spend time with, 
And that meant a great deal to him. Um, he, so some of these folks can tend to get a little isolated and be surrounded you know, by their people and their handlers as they get older. Um, but RC always had friends and would go to the men's Bible study. And he didn't always teach it. Uh, one, one man he led to Christ was a dear, dear friend of his. And he led the Bible study. And R.C. liked to go, just to go to this men's Bible study. He loved having a congregation that he got to know over time, that he could speak God's word into their lives. And you just there was such a comfortableness with him when he'd step into the pulpit. I mean, he could be feeling miserable and have a cold, and he had the COPD, and he struggled, and he had strokes, and all those things. But he'd get into the pulpit, and he'd just come alive. You saw it. You, like, visually would see it. When I, when I was in there, uh, or, or I mean, when, you know, sitting there under his pastoral ministry, you felt the energy. Then I think the beauty of this, which, which of course was after his passing, is just how Vesta, his, his widow, has the St. Andrew's community around her uh, to minister her. And it means a great deal to her uh, to be at St. Andrew's. So, yeah, the church was very significant for RC and in God's providence has continued to be a true blessing uh, for Vesta. Last question. I'm a writer. I've been a writer my whole life. I love words. I love writing. RC was a writer. He was very prolific um, and left behind a great library of, of works. Talk about RC and writing. What was his process? What was his <laughs> style? Uh, did he try to crank out a certain amount of words every day? Did he just have a deadline and he attacked it? What, what did that look like for RC? Four things, Dan. One is early on, you talk about being in art class and always wanting his, the teacher would put pin up the art uh, pictures of students that were spectacular. His never got put up, but he wrote an essay for a teacher and she pinned it on the art board. And she told R.C., never let anyone tell you, you can't write. He's a young kid. It had a huge impact on him. He talked about it in his late 70s, that encounter, fresh, vivid. So there's one. How great it is as a writer to have someone to say something like that, put wind in your sails. Number two, when you see R.C.'s books, there are there, there are two or three decades of feet under the desk, studying books, pen in hand, taking notes, reading everything he could read. So there's a solid foundation there of not just formal education, but reading really good literature and being grounded in really good literature. So you can only build the house as strong as the foundation. Number three, he would write out longhand on yellow paper chapters. I mean, whole chapters, Dan. I've got manuscripts of his. That's amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I've got manuscripts of his that are whole chapters start to finish with maybe just a cross out here and there. I mean, when I handwrite, I'm crossing out, I'm adding stuff, I'm putting like insert later. He'll handwrite footnotes into oh my the goodness. Yes. And then the, then he hands it to secretary, gets typed up, edits the type, sends it to the publisher. Um, and then I think thirdly, yes, 
he was an early riser. I mean, like three, three forty-five, four o'clock early riser, and he just right every morning. Then, as soon as the sun hits, he's the first guy on the golf course. Does a quick round, quick goes through, gets his round of golf in. That's where he's thinking about his lecture. Then he goes into the studio, gives his lecture. Then he works on the edited manuscript that was written the day before that was typed that he worked on. That was much of his life uh, through the 80s and the 90s. And a result of that, 100 plus books. So dedication, work, skill, craftsmanship, it's all those things. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I just love hearing that when I hear about him as a writer. I read the biography of J.I. Packer and they asked Packer, you know, did you have a plan for all this? Did you yeah. Did you want to have this huge platform? And he said, no, I just, I wrote, why did you write so many books? He's like, because they asked me to. And <laughs> someone, someone needed it. And I feel a little bit about that with RC. Like, okay, Absolutely. here's yeah. the next thing. And like, there's a need here. I'm just going to do it. And what a great legacy that is. You know, I think, Dan, Vesta gets asked this question all the time. Did you and RC ever envision, uh, you know, a ministry with 170 employees and global impact and websites in 10 languages actively producing material? Absolutely not, she would say. We just, God put something in front of us. We just wanted to be faithful. And, you know, there's a lesson in that for all of us, right? Uh, we just have to be faithful stewards of that little corner where God has put us and, and there will be an impact. God will, if you're faithful and a good steward of the gifts God has given you, uh, God will bless that and you will have an impact. Yeah. Well, Dr. Stephen Nichols, thank you so much for your time and for joining me. This has been a fascinating podcast. You've got a great book, the biography of R.C. Sproul. We'll have links to it in the show notes. I want to encourage folks to get it if they want to just, you know, be encouraged and freshly inspired about what God is doing in the world. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. Really appreciate it, Dan. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at, at @dandarling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters. Thank you.